1: Hi, it's Mignon Fogarty, and I just have a heads up that this bonus show isn't about writing. Besides being Grammar Girl, I'm also the founder of the whole Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network. And this month, we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of two of our shows, Money Girl and Nutrition Diva, an amazing milestone. And as part of the celebration, I interviewed the two hosts, Laura Adams and Monica Reinagle. So if you'd like a little sneak peek behind the scenes and to hear the stories of two amazing women and how they got started podcasting, stick around. And I'll be back on Tuesday with a regular Grammar Girl episode. Woo! Thank you, Mignon. So excited. It's great to be all together. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We uh we don't see each other very often. So this is wonderful to see you for those of you who are watching the video. And we were just talking, gosh, 15 years is is for such a long time. And it just flew by. And I'm so... Proud of all the work that you've done for your listeners over these low, low these many years. Today we're going to talk about some of the history of the, the shows and where things are going and some of the exciting weird things that have happened along the way. So, um, Laura, let's talk with you first. For those of you who don't know, Laura is one of the nation's leading personal finance and small business authorities. She's an award winning author speaker and of course host of Money Girl But you might not know, she's been the host since 2008. That's why we're celebrating 15 years. Um, She works with brands as an expert spokesperson, consumer advocate, and content creator. And her mission is to empower consumers to live financially healthy and rich lives by making the most of what they have, planning for the future, and making smart financial decisions. She received an MBA from the University of Florida and lives with her husband in Vero Beach, Florida now. And Monica Reinigel is equally accomplished. She is a licensed nutritionist with a master's degree in human nutrition and went to culinary school. Um, she spends her days writing and speaking about food and nutrition, helping people create healthier lives. And she is the host of the Nutrition Diva podcast, but also the Change Academy podcast. She writes for Scientific American food and nutrition magazine. And she's been a guest on shows like the Today Show, CBS News and NPR's morning edition and we'll talk about this she is also a trained opera singer which is where the name uh, nutrition diva comes from she's not a food diva she's an actual singing diva <laughs> so Laura and Monica welcome let's 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 talk about your shows and your accomplishments over all these years. You know, I think it'd be fun to go back. I don't even remember at this point how you both came on board the network. So maybe talk about sort of what your dreams were and what your what you were thinking when you got, and how you got started doing your shows. Um Laura, why don't you go first? So I had started podcasting
2: right after I got my MBA. I was very very into all of the information, all of the finance information that I had just learned. And I thought, wow, wouldn't podcasting and blogging be a fun way to dig into topics and not only help myself remember what I had just learned in that program, but also help other people learn maybe making those topics digestible and and relatable. Well, lo and behold, it was the personal finance side of it that got the most reaction. A lot of people started emailing me and sending questions about personal finance. And that's when I realized that was really the direction I wanted to go. It wasn't corporate finance that got me excited. It was the personal side of money. So I think that it was about 2007, March of 2007, I started my very first podcast. It was called MBA Working Girl. And I was doing that for a few months. And somebody who knows you, Mignon, approached me and said, I think Mignon and this growing network might be looking for a new host. And I think I reached out to you or their... Maybe it was an introduction between this person, and I'm racking my brain to remember. No, um, now that you've jogged my memory, I think I remember. I think it was Rob Walsh from Libsyn. It. That is yes. it from Libson, Exactly. Rob reached out, and he, because I was doing my podcast through Libsyn, and said, I think you know they might be looking for a new host, and so he put this together, and there was this transitional period where we had an interim host, and then finally took over in, I believe the first episode was August of 2008. So it is I mean as you said the time has flown by and what were my dreams? You know at the at the time it really wasn't anything that I could imagine. It was really more about me mastering this new technology, figuring it out, being one of the first financial podcasts out there because at the time there weren't that many shows. And I thought this would be just really fun and a great way for me to learn. And so I'm so pleased that it really ended up being a fun, also money-making venture as well over the years.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. I think that none of us imagined we'd be doing it for 15 years. I know I, at the time, didn't think that. Um, Monica, why don't you talk about sort of your early days?
3: Actually, not unsimilar to Laura's, only in my case, much less intentional. Uh, When I started with you, I had been blogging in nutrition for a couple of pretty high-profile websites, and so I had begun to develop a reputation as as a topic expert, hadn't really even thought about podcasts, but I was beginning to be invited as a guest on other people's podcasts. And one of those early interviews, after we wrapped up the interview, I was just chatting with the producer afterwards. And he said, you know, you're, you're really good on microphone. Have you ever thought of doing a podcast? Do you know who Grammar Girl is? And he told me about your podcast. He said, they have a whole network, you know, maybe that would be something to look into. So I went to the website, I looked around, and I cold called, cold emailed our then director, Richard Rohr, and said, how is it possible you don't have a nutrition podcast in this lineup? That's just, I couldn't believe that there wasn't one yet. And he said, because we haven't found the right person yet. Why don't you write us some sample episodes and we'll see if you are a fit? So uh, next thing I knew, we were signing contracts and recording those those early episodes and and launching that podcast. And I had very little expectation or aspiration. Like Laura, it sounded like fun to me. I wanted to see what it would be like to do to produce the content, but I didn't have a sense. Mignon, I feel like you were so much more forward-thinking in the podcasting industry. I didn't have a sense of where podcasting was going. I almost thought it was just kind of a, a passing fad that we would all podcast for a while and then we would be moving on to something else. I didn't imagine that it would become as big a part of our media landscape as it has been. And then, of course, I was really well positioned because I was at like, Laura, I was in place before there were 3 million shows, 3 million podcasts, and had a chance to develop an audience and a you know, an approach to podcasting and familiarity and comfort with the with the medium. Still never thought I would be doing it for 15 years. When I got up to 10 years, I thought, well, maybe maybe I should be wrapping this up, you know, handing the mantle on to someone else, but it's been so compelling and part of it, I think as with you Laura, has been the relationship that develops with the listeners. The listeners were so present. They were so willing to email and send in questions. And I could see how they were responding to the show. And that really roped me in the fact that it was really a very two way relationship between the podcast host and the listener—that's
1: one of the things I loved the most from the very beginning about podcasting was that interaction with the listeners. Because I had been writing too, and you just don't get the same kind of feedback. And I—I I laugh when I think back about the early days because you know I thought that I was coming to podcasting so late, like I thought I had just you know missed the boat, was the last person up that ramp, and you know it was obviously now very very early. I remember thinking that. Podcasting was like, um, the early days of the internet or blogging that it was a, a, or online newspapers, that it was a way to reach listeners directly with audio, you know, in a way that had been able to for a while reach them directly with text and that it was going to change everything. I do think I thought the industry would change even more over time. I mean, what we do today for podcasting, you know, technologically is somewhat different, but conceptually it's really kind of similar to what we were doing in the beginning we're we're giving audio information to people you know you talked about the listeners and the wonderful relationships we had with them i would love to hear some anecdotes that you both have about um things that have happened with your listeners um do you want to start this time monica
3: well i i have people that have been listening from the very first days of the show. And when they email me, they always tell me, I've been listening since the very beginning. I've heard every episode, which of course, very endearing. Mm -hmm. Um, And many of them have found themselves featured on the podcast because uh, listener questions generate a huge share of our content. And I always like to When they record a voicemail, we like to play their voices. When they just write in to me, I will read their questions. And so they've been a a character on the show um, since the very beginning. You know, just having done it for so long and the other opportunities that it opened up for me to do other kinds of media, radio, television, made me more familiar to more people. So I have had a very few instances of of actually being recognized uh, somewhere at my farmer's market or something like that. But maybe the the craziest, the, the, the wildest story, as you said, Mignon, I had a previous life as a classically trained singer, and that life still creeps into my current life. And a couple of years ago, I was out of town doing a solo gig And then the first orchestra rehearsal, the conductor will also always introduce the soloists to the orchestra. So we stand up and he introduces everybody. He gets to me and said, and our our mezzo-soprano soloist is Monica Reinagle. And the concertmaster said, you're the nutrition diva. (laughs) (laughs) And the conductor just looked at me like, "Uh, okay, there's something here I don't know. (laughs) Because I had, I mean, kind of kept those worlds separate. So that was probably my, my proudest moment as a podcaster. (laughs)
2: How about you, Laura? Well, I have a couple things that that come to mind. I still have the very first email that I ever received from a listener. Um, It came from a blind man named John who said that, he was really listening to podcast on his way to work. And he kind of gave this long email about how much he was enjoying the show. And at the very end, he said, you know, and I'm blind. And it really touched me in a way that made me realize how accessible this medium is. And it's it's something that you know, we all love to, to kind of multitask, um, but I never really thought about how wonderful it is for the sight impaired out there. And so that was something that really made me realize the diversity of the audience and, and you know, how I could really connect with so many different types of people. That was wonderful. That came right away. And I think that is what got me sort of hooked in the beginning to keep going and keep producing content, thinking about that listener who was out there wanting the next episode to come. Um, another time I was traveling, I was on a vacation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I was there for a wedding of my uh, a friend of my husband's. And we sat down at this lovely dinner at the wedding, and I started speaking to this woman next to me. And she said, you know, your voice sounds just like this podcast I listened to called Money Girl. And it was like, Oh my God. I have to come to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to, you know, find my, my best fan, but I found her and it was so fun. And we kept up an email relationship for a long time. And so that was really fun to be called out. And we were with all these people and she was like, you look you don't know who this person is. Like it was such a big deal. And she was calling me out and I was so embarrassed, but loving it at the same time. So it it was really fun.
1: That's amazing. I, I hear from blind listeners too, and it's really cool to know that you're providing information for people that they can get it in so many different ways. Um, I think the only time this is so weird, but the only time I think I've ever been recognized outside of podcasting conferences is I went in to get a biopsy on a breast lump that turned out to be nothing. It was fine. But while the nurse is getting me ready, she's like, I know you. You were grammar girl. I saw you on Oprah and i'm like yes but can you pay attention to you know like i just it was the weirdest place and time to be recognized of all the places and times
2: that does not sound as fun as my experience but but i'm glad everything was okay yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that was weird <laughs> I think the, another interesting story I have is um, I heard once from a listener who named her daughter after me, um, which, so there's a little Mignon out there somewhere who I hope enjoys reading and writing and and doing grammar.
3: That's <laughs> quite an honor, Mignon.
1: Yeah. I know. It was such a surprise. I, I think she would probably be, I don't know, between eight and 10 now, probably, um yeah so you you know we again hearing from listeners and getting questions which is always so wonderful you know i'm sure as i do you find that you get a lot of the same questions over and over again and so how do you how do you handle that like do you do you refresh your content do you answer them directly like talk about maybe that a little bit or maybe your answer maybe the answer to those questions has even changed over the years. I know money and nutrition change more than grammar,
3: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely been my experience. Um, I do get certain questions over and over again, and for in the early years, I would refer them back to that episode. Oh, I talked about that in episode number twenty eight or whatever. You can go check that out. And two things changed. first of all, the The amount of time that had passed between that original episode and when I might be getting that question started to become long enough that, as you suggest, Mignon, things have changed in nutrition science and some of those answers had changed. So that became a spur to revisit and update content and bring it so that the content is up to date. I mean, once you've recorded over 700 episodes, it gets kind of encyclopedic, you know, like there's kind of very little we haven't talked about. But things have changed and and probably more in my fields than in either of your fields, there have been more advances and in some cases, reversals of of the science on nutrition. So so it is necessary to go back and refresh that content. And I can use the, the listener questions as a prompt to do that. And also I realized that in a way, it's a better listener experience instead of in the course of an episode, another change I think I've made instead of just saying, oh, and I talked more about this in this episode, you can go listen to that. I've started to just go ahead and pull that information into the episode that I'm working on now so that it's a little bit more accessible and all in one place for the listener that they don't have to then remember an episode number and go find that other episode. So that's a slight shift that I've made is is actually repeating some of that content just so that it's all in one place for people. How, How do you handle that when people are asking for things that you've covered in the past?
2: I have in the past kind of lumped things together. So if I saw a lot of questions about, let's say, buying a home and mortgages, we try to do an episode that kind of addresses a bunch of those. But I will say, you know, there are, there are changes year to year, particularly with taxes and retirement accounts. The questions that I get the most are not related to those specific changes. They're more about How do I prioritize things? Should I do this or should I do this? You know, and, and in a lot of cases, maybe a yes or a no, but there also may be a third thing to do as well that people are not thinking about. So trying to help people understand. What are your options? What are the pros and cons? I never like to tell people this is the right way or this is the wrong way, but here are the pros and cons to all the different options that I see for you and, and, and things to think about. One thing that, you know, I will say is when I started podcasting, so that was 2008, we were in that. That recession, that, that pretty bad recession. And so people were worrying about a lot of the things that we have recently been worrying about, like bank. Collapses and FDIC insurance and things like that. That has been so interesting to sort of see that cycle come back around, you know, now 15 years later. So it was interesting. I was looking back at some of the podcasts that I was doing around the recession in 2008 and, you know, really kind of updating that. So taking those topics that, yes, you, you see over and over and over, but putting a spin on it that is current with what's going on in the economy today or, or what things have changed a little bit with with the laws. Um, that's a way I, I feel like I, I can always keep it fresh.
0: When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, Stay Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
1: Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention, host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publisher's Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, missing pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life. Which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Yeah. When I was out on my book tour a few years ago, I had a great opportunity to talk to a lot of listeners in person, you know, which we don't normally get. And one of the things I asked is how they felt about sort of hearing the same topics um again. And I found most people said they really appreciate the refresher. And, you know, we also have to remember that not everybody has been listening since the beginning. <laughs> so, you know, if something, if we covered something seven years ago or 10 years ago, there's a very good chance that most people haven't heard it. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with redoing those major topics again and again, too. So how have you have you do you feel like your podcast has changed? From the beginning, from the 15 years, you know, when my, when I, when I started, my show was about three or four minutes long. And now it's about 15 minutes long. And I have two segments and I always have the Familect story at the end, which is a story from the listeners. Have your shows changed a lot or do you even feel like your approach toward your show or podcasting has changed? Um, Laura, why don't you go first this time?
2: Yes. Like you, I do feel that they have gotten a little bit longer. And I think that's good. I think it is tough to really cover a topic in depth, you know, in just a few minutes. And especially as we've had been fortunate enough to have more advertisers, having a little bit more content sort of balances out the content against that ad time. And I find that listeners really appreciate that. They're willing to listen to the ads, you know, if they're getting the goods in the show. And so it has become, I think, a little bit longer. I've also really, really tried to, to bring in personal anecdotes be a little bit more conversational, really bring in personal stuff when I can. But I never want to cross that line between being too chatty because people come to Quick and Dirty Tips for the, the information. They're there to get the information and move on. And, and that's the beauty of the show. So there's been a balance there between making it conversational, but not crossing that line and, and not having them trust us to, to give them just the facts.
1: Yeah. I have to laugh because if you're not watching the video when when Laura said they come to us for for, you know, to get the information, all three of us started nodding vigorously. <laughs> yes, that is what we do. <laughs> Monica, how about you?
3: Yeah. My show has also gotten a little bit longer. When we started, uh there was a real emphasis, this is the quick and dirty tips network. We get in, we get out, we deliver, you know, one little nugget and we keep going. Um, And so my shows also were more in the five, six, seven minute range. And like you, Laura, I felt like as we started to have more sponsorship opportunities and ads that we wanted to balance that content. So, yes. Also... I realized that the listeners were interested in slightly longer episodes, although it's possible to push that too far. So my episodes now run between 10 or 12 minutes, can flesh things out in a little bit more detail. Sometimes we have time for a a listener question that's related, but on a slightly different topic, either at the beginning or at the end. But a few times, uh, particularly when I've had guests on to do interviews when the shows have run quite a bit longer, because I felt like the conversation was so interesting, and so the the episode had run maybe 25 minutes and we could see that the, the listenership would drop off a little bit for those longer episodes. I hope that this episode will be an exception to that rule. <laughs> but, and, and I don't think that it was about not being interested in the conversation or in the guest at all. I think maybe it's just that, our shows occupy a certain slot if your commute is you know 12 minutes long or that's one episode if it's 24 minutes long that's two episodes and and maybe people are queuing up the podcast to to fill specific moments in the day that those longer shows didn't fit into. That's my theory, anyway.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. I know when I, when there's a, a distinction between the analytics, the, the, so we, when I, when I do interviews, at least we get the same number of listeners, but we see the completion rate goes way That's down. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the same number of people will listen, but then you imagine, oh, they got to work and had to turn it off, you know, or something like that. They were done walking the dog and, and now the show has had its allotted time. <laughs> so,
3: There was another sort of I'll call it a, a gentle mandate at the beginning, um, when we started. And I don't know if you experienced this the same way, Laura, but Mignon, you were very humorous in your podcasts. And, um, Steve Robbins was also, uh, at that point, he was get it done guy and he was like a stand up comedian, right? So there was pressure. I felt a little bit of pressure to be funny. Did you, <laughs> did you find that, Laura? To yes, try to And find- I'm, and I'm not funny,
2: but <laughs> I, but I can find the personal aspect in, in mm-hmm. the topic. So I, I think, you know, that was sort of my way of making it a little less dry. But what we found is that if people are hardcore, they're really into the topic, they're there for the topic. And, you know, they're not there for entertainment. Yes, if it can be a little entertaining, that is wonderful. But again, I think most of the listeners are like, give me the information. And, you know, if if there's a little nugget of humor or personal anecdote, you know, fantastic.
3: Well, Mignon, you did such a good job of using your little characters as yes. a way of making the uh, the the lesson stickier, you know, and helping us remember, giving us devices that would would keep them in our minds. That was brilliant. And um, and Stever had some recurring characters on his show as well. I never came up with any characters for my shows or, or little gimmicks that would run from show to show, but. I do when I listen back to early episodes I can tell then that I was really concerned with trying to be very professional and you know in my voice and in my delivery and one thing that's changed for me maybe not even in the content or what I talk about it but I'm a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more willing to let my personality come through in in the shows than I was at the beginning and that probably just comes with ease. you know, you do it long enough, and you start to believe. Actually, I am a podcaster. <laughs> I can go ahead and be myself. Um, and because the listeners do develop such personal relationships with us, and I think that's the nature of podcasting and how people take in that content. You're you're literally in their ear. You're whispering in their ear, and you're accompanying them through specific portions of their day, whether it's their dog walks or their dishwashing time or their commutes, you're a constant companion and friend. And so they do feel a connection to us, which I'm sure you've all experienced if you ever have reason to be on the phone with a listener. And so often they will say like, it's just so funny to hear your voice talking to me. It's so familiar.
1: (laughs) It is. It's like that. Whenever I go to podcasting conferences, I feel that way, and people react that way to me. You hear you hear them so much, and then to actually talk in real time to someone whose mm-hmm. voice you recognize is, is at first very jarring. Uh, it's cool and neat, but also. Jarring, and you have to get used to it, especially in those early days when video wasn't such a big deal. We didn't, you didn't know someone's face. So mm-hmm. it was sort of that radio effect where, you know, that weird moment when you see the DJ for the first time and you're, you, you were usually imagining that person who looked different, lo- looked somehow not the same.
3: <laughs> they imagined you looked like your avatar.
1: Right. And what's funny is people say that people do think I look like my avatar, but the artist who made my avatar had never seen a picture of me. So um, it was
3: just a coincidence. Um,
1: did you get people saying that you looked like your avatars?
3: My avatar did kind of share a lot of the same characteristics with me and we picked some props for her that kind of signified the diva-ness. So she had a little tiara and she wore sort of an evening gown. She had little silver sparkly shoes. And I was very attached to my avatar. I thought she was adorable. I loved being associated with her when we published the the book through Macmillan that went with the podcast, the Nutrition Diva's Secrets for a Healthy Diet, we included lots of illustrations. I really fought for illustrations because we thought of all these funny ways to use the avatar. So when she was reading food labels in the grocery store, she was actually looking through opera glasses. And <laughs> you know, we tried to have some little puns, but no, I was I was very fond of my avatar. I was kind of sorry when they updated all of our. Logos, I moved away from that, and I could see you know that style had maybe was looking a little bit dated, and they wanted something a little bit more refreshed but i I miss her,
1: yeah, I know the platforms were asking for refreshed logos from from all of
3: mm-hmm.
1: us, oh yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think we're going to wrap up, but I'm very curious, you know, what do you see happening in the next few years? Do you see yourself doing this for 15 more years? Are you, I know it's, that's such a long time, maybe five, because that's all we can conceive of. Or do you have any plans for other things podcasting or not that you might do in your subject areas? Um, Laura, why don't, why don't you take it away? Podcasting has been such an integral part of everything that I've
2: done. It really did launch a book career for me. I was uh, really always wanting to write and be an author. And so the podcast, owned by Macmillan at the time, was very, or, or newly owned, I should say, I guess, by Macmillan, was a wonderful outlet to write. And so I've had the honor of writing multiple books with Macmillan. And my latest book was with Entrepreneur Press, Money Smart Solopreneur. So I don't know... If I'll write more books, but I can definitely say that podcasting has been a big component of my work with brands. They they love to see that I am in connection with an audience of people who are asking questions and that I'm sort of in touch with the pulse of personal finance. And so... It's a big part of my identity, so I I can't really imagine not podcasting right now. I think it's fun. It keeps me up to date. It keeps me learning constantly. So I don't know how long I'll do it, but I can't imagine not doing it.
3: Yeah, I feel the same, Laura. It has become such an essential tool for both uh, communicating on multiple platforms and also supporting my business, which is why we launched a second podcast the Change Academy, which is not with Macmillan or part of the Quick and Dirty Tips, but gave us an opportunity to talk a little bit more about some of the other services and programs that we offer and topic areas slightly adjacent to nutrition, more about behavior change, like what, not just what we should be eating, but why do we do the things that we do and why don't they always line up with what we, what our goals are? It's gotten to the point where I just automatically think of business and communication and platform. In terms of podcasting, one of the things that, um, that we're experimenting with next, I'm kind of excited about is private podcasts as a way to deliver content to, for example, program participants or, or coaching clients or something, realizing what a convenient, and compelling and immediate way that is to communicate and to deliver information. Uh, And private podcasting is sort of a, it's not a new frontier, but it's something that I hadn't really explored before. And that's something I'm really excited about uh, developing in my business over the next couple of years and really leveraging everything that I've learned as a public podcaster, you know, in, in that other application of it. There's just so much potential for podcasting to reach new audiences to support existing businesses. But when it does come time to step down to to turn over the tiara, you know, I, I feel as um like you, Mignon, I'm the only nutrition diva there has been there haven't been multiple hosts for my show. And I really want to make sure that the person that that takes over is prepared to bring the same level of integrity and, um, commitment to that. Like I feel a responsibility to my listeners to leave the show in good hands. So I guess I'll I'll be, I'll be scanning the horizon for doing some succession planning. I feel exactly the
1: same way. I feel like I have a huge responsibility to make sure whenever that day comes that it's the right person Mm -hmm. who who takes over because you do have this element of trust and and just you do, you feel responsible for your your platform and your listeners and you want it to continue to be a a valuable, reliable source. I'm just, I've just been so grateful to have both of you filling that role for your shows. I know when I have a money question or a nutrition question, the, First thing I do is see what has Monica said about this? What has Laura said about this? Um, you were my first stop when I have any question in either of those areas. Um, so thank you for, you know, being part of the network and for giving me personally the information I've been curious about over the years. Oh, well, um, thank you. Thank
2: you for inviting me into the platform and being a part of the quick and dirty tips community. I mean, being one of the hosts has just been such a highlight of my career. So it's, it's something that I'm super proud of and kudos to you for building this and staying with it and being such a, a part of its growth and, and the change. We've seen a lot of change, um, in, in, you know, the network over the years for the good. Um, and I really appreciate that and appreciate you hosting this, this podcast today. This has been fun.
3: Yes, it has been such a a privilege to to know you, Mignon, and to work with you. And I'm so grateful that you had the vision for this network that we have now gotten to build with you for all of these years. But absolutely. Fun to connect as, uh, as three of the old timers, maybe the oldest timers at this point at the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, and, uh, and to introduce each of our audiences to other voices that they may not have yet encountered. Um, if you haven't yet listened to Grammar Girl or Money Girl, you're missing out. These need to be in your feed as well.
1: Oh, thank you, Monica. Yeah, I think we are the oldest timers too. I think uh, maybe one of our producers, Dan Fireopend, has been here um, as long as I have. But but we are definitely among the oldest of the old timers. <laughs> and 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 it's true. Like you have played a huge part in building the network too. And I mean, again, congratulations and thank you. And here's to as many more years as you are willing to give us. Here, <laughs> here, here, here. Thanks again to all of you for listening. And if you want to check out these two wonderful podcasts, they are, again, Money Girl and Nutrition Diva, and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts.
0: When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
1: Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.